This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. He, he wants <laughs> nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app for all of your wagering needs. And as we head towards uh, the great American holiday, Thanksgiving, uh, from Thanksgiving right through the Super Bowl is when you have wall-to-wall football. You know, throw in college basketball and everything else that's going on. But college football, and, of course, all the big games that come, then the bowl games, and all the great NFL stuff that is wall-to-wall. Look how many games are national TV games this coming week on Thanksgiving week. Uh, the bottom line is, for all of you wagering needs, just go to download the Bet Rivers apps, go to BetRivers.com. Faster experience, exclusive promotion, one app while traveling. So just download the Bet Rivers app, and you should be in very good shape. All right, here we go couple of things here. Then we'll get to some uh, emails. And you can email me at mikefrancesapodcast at gmail.com. Now, Jets hold a players-only meeting. But tell me this. How come every players-only meeting, as soon as it happens, every detail is everywhere? Not, they don't even hide this anymore. You have... Wilson, who goes from the meeting and goes right on the radio and talks about what happened at the meeting. What is the purpose of the meeting? What is the purpose of having a players only, which never makes the coaches look good at any point? You know, do great coaching staffs have players only meetings? No. People have players only meetings when they're desperate. What good is a players only meeting if you're going to leak every detail? The bottom line is it just shows you that it's a bunch of nonsense. Here, we're going to put a different spin on the fact that we can't get anything done. We can't find the end zone with a map. We continue to make stupid penalty after stupid penalty. That's what it's about. Forget your players-only meetings. I can tell you that in five seconds. You don't need a players-only meeting. You need to play better. You need to play smarter. What a bunch of nonsense. Here's the bottom line with the Jets, okay? All these things add to the fact that they cannot run a capable, productive offense. They make way too many mistakes, both both pre-snap and post-snap. They have way too many penalties overall. The play calling is extremely suspect, despite Aaron Rodgers' continued defense of Paul Hackett. Listen. He can love Paul Hackett all he wants. And Aaron Rodgers carries a lot of weight, and he should. 
He's one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the sport. You have heard me say that time and time and time again. It is a fact. So he earned his proper place in the sport. But he's not there to run the offense the way he wants. And the offense that he has in his head is what he acts like is authored by Paul Hackett. It's not. It comes out of his head. It comes out of his gut. It comes out of what he sees with his instincts and with his vision. It doesn't work for somebody else. The play calling is bad. The quarterback play overall is not good. Has he made some plays with his legs? Yes. Has he made some decent throws? Yes. Has he made some horrific throws and missed wide open touchdowns? Yes. Has he held the ball too long? Yes. Has he lost the ball on too many fumbles? Yes. Has he thrown too many interceptions? No. He's not thrown a lot of interceptions. He threw a biggie last week. He got trapped. It was a great defensive play. I'm not even going to get on him that much because it was a great defensive play. Sometimes you got to give credit to the other team. Has he, been suffer- has he suffered a lot of drops? Yes. But the Jets have no leadership. They have a dreadful offensive line. They have way too many players like their tight ends who continue to make just stupid mistakes. Now, obviously everybody's targeting certain guys who had big penalties last week. Part of it is they were asked to block guys they couldn't block. But you can't just tackle them. You have to know when you're in the zone where the penalty is going to be called and when you're in the zone where the penalty is not going to be called. And you have to be smart enough to know the difference because there is a difference. But their offensive play is awful. They have no leadership. And the penalties come back all the way back to the head coach who is always more concerned with getting in front of a microphone and trumpeting the talent and the bravado, and the productivity of his defense. And stop, he never remembers. He should, in the mid-sentence, stop and say, oh, I keep forgetting, I have to coach the whole team. I have to be responsible for the whole team. So that offense that can't score is also on my watch. Not just the defense that I brag about. And at halftime last week, what does he say? Well, if they try to throw the ball to Adams, we'll pick it off. You know what? Knock that stuff off. Instead, say, hey, you know what? I got to go inside and figure out how my offense can score a touchdown. You're the head coach. Act like it. Or you're not going to be a head coach anymore. You can go back to just worrying about your defense somewhere with another team. As a defensive coordinator, which is what you are. The Jets are hurting on the offensive line. They can't fix it. They don't have the players to fix it. Everything emanates from that. Then you wear the issues with the quarterback. Then you wear the issues with other players who continue to make mistakes. You can't bench all of them. He's adamant about not giving any other quarterback a chance, even though the job of the quarterback is to get his team into the end zone. When quarterbacks fail at that, you have to look elsewhere. They don't want to look elsewhere. Well, now they've gone 11 quarters without a touchdown. And in that time, their defense has only given up two touchdowns. Now, they didn't play great teams the last couple of weeks. They just played the Chargers. The Chargers beat them soundly. They did it by 
more with their pass rush than anything else. I mean, they just, you know, they got eight sacks, could have got 18 the way, the way the game went. But the players-only meeting is a joke. And all it does is it, make, it, it makes the coaching staff look weaker. I've never seen a players-only meeting that doesn't make the coaching staff look weaker. Because if the coaches are in control, they don't need a players-only meeting. Bills fire Ken Dorsey after that Monday night debacle and that mistake-riddled loss to the Broncos. Was it all his fault? No. Should McDermott take a lot of the hit? Yes. Should Allen take a lot of the hit? Yes. Allen has become a reckless, impatient, mistake-prone quarterback. He is a superb player with incredible offensive gifts, but he has become a take-with-the-right-hand, give-with-the-left-hand quarterback. And those quarterbacks play 500 football. And he'll make a great play, and then he'll make a horrendous mistake. Make a great play, make a horrendous mistake. There has to be a point, and there was when Dable was there, where the plus plays outnumber the minus plays by a lot. If they don't, you're going to be where they are right now. Four turnovers last week. You're not going to win many games when you're minus three. And you're minus three in this league, you lose 90% of the games, no matter how talented you are. You might win an occasional game, but you're not going to win consistently. And right now, that's why they're a 500 team. That team is lost. Have they had injuries? Yes. But they continue to make all kinds of mistakes. And last week, they made them on defense. They made them in the secondary. And then they made it with 12 men on the field. Jets, Bills, both of them in chaos right now. The winner is going to think they have at least for a week righted the ship. You're going to know a lot about the Jets by the time Black Friday rolls around because you know that the Jets and Dolphins are playing this first ever, this first ever Black Friday game for the NFL. So the Jets, who were rolling right along, coming off gift wins, and the Giant win was without question a gift win. And then they went to play the Chargers at home and the Raiders on the road, two very winnable games and lost both. Lose these next two games, and there should be no more talk about Rodgers coming back because the hole they'll have dug will be way too deep in the AFC. So they can't lose both of these games. They lose one, you want to say they're alive? Okay, borderline. This is an enormous game that will be played this week. Enormous. With enormous enormous playoff implications, because right now there are so many teams in the AFC that are just knocking on the door or right there record-wise. I mean, you just look at it. You have, let's say the cutoff right now is five losses. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 
12, 13, 14 teams. 14 teams. With five or fewer losses. Do you know how many teams have more than five losses in the AFC? Two. And two that usually aren't on that side of the ledger. The Pats at two and eight. And Tennessee at three and six. Everybody else, everybody else is within that number. And if you take the number five, just overall, five losses, one, two, three, four, five, six teams have five losses. So you have everybody right there. You have to get out of that pack in the next three weeks to have a legitimate chance. You have to start to separate because if you don't, you have no chance of getting a wild card in what is going to be an insanely competitive conference. I mean, just look at the North. Seven and three, six and three, six and three, five and four. The Bengals, who are a legitimate team when healthy, are in last place in the division with a huge Thursday night game coming up. So the Bills fired Dorsey and named Brady the offensive coordinator. Okay. We know his history. We know his claim to fame, LSU and Burrow. We understand his failure along the way in the NFL. Now he gets another chance, and he's with a big-time quarterback. But it's about Allen cutting down mistakes. It's not anything else. They want to run the ball more? Fine. They want to balance the offense more? Fine. It's still that offense is built around the quarterback and the premier wide receiver. They have other weapons, but it's built around, and now they've started to elevate Kincaid to a very high level because they want the tight end to be a very big part of this. So that's fine, too, because Kincaid's a big-time player. So they are going to have a tight end who's going to catch a lot of passes. They have a wide receiver who is, can be as explosive, and early in the season this year was knocking out 100-yard game after 100-yard game and hasn't been near there since and had 30-something yards last week. They have weapons. They have the quarterback. The quarterback is as premier a talent as there is in the, in, in the league. But he also makes more mistakes than just about any quarterback in the league. And with those mistakes, they can't win. The Giants are a complete disaster. We understand that. They actually this week play an opponent that they match up against, okay? And actually will match up against better because they traded off both of their premier pass rushers. But right now, they don't have an offense that you believe can actually operate in the real part of the game. The offensive line is that bad. And this isn't a knock the quarterback, but you know what? He's a borderline NFL player at best. That's not a knock on him. He's a third-string quarterback. And he plays like a third-string quarterback. 
Forget what went on last week. I mean, listen, I, I mentioned that. I didn't want to make a big deal about it, but the idea that you would run 14 plays after the two-minute, or 12 plays, whatever it was, after the two-minute warning, and use your timeouts to try and score a touchdown that badly in a 49-10 game, you know what? It doesn't gain anything, except maybe get some players injured who, don't want, who you don't want to have injured, who you're going to need. I mean, think about it. They ran 12 plays after the two-minute warning. 12 plays against a defense that could care less, a bunch of third stringers playing, the guys who haven't played all year playing, and guys who just want to get off the field and are celebrating. And it still took them 12 plays and two timeouts to get the ball into the end zone. And they acted like they accomplished something when they did that. I mean, give me a break, please. How much more, how much more can you have proven how much you have lost your way than that? Dable has not. He handled everything very well last year. He looked very comfortable in his own skin last year. And success didn't knock him off his feet. I thought he handled it all like very much in stride. But defeat and the issues that have risen this year have completely knocked him sideways. He doesn't act anything like the coach from last year. He is completely, completely off whatever his game used to be. And frankly, now you don't even know what his game is because you said, well, I saw one good year and now I see one disastrous year. Do I think they would replace him? I don't. Do I think they want to change this hierarchy? Will you hear all these rumors? Will he have to live with these Bill Belichick rumors? He will because you know what? If Bill Belichick is out there, nobody's resume measures his. So any team, no matter who the coach is, this side of Andy Reid, he's going to pale in comparison. So if you measure him up against any job in the league, he's going to look very good. He's Bill Belichick. He's one of the singly, on one hand, greatest coaches in the history of this league. There's no disputing that. So the only resume that could stand up to that is Andy's. No one else in the league even can even stand up to it for a second. Nor should they be able to. And I think New England has to watch because I think it is a reflection on them, not on Belichick, how they treat him if these are really his final days. I have no idea what is going on in New England. I'm not going to pretend I do. I hear the same rumors that everybody else hears. I hear the same rumblings, but I've, you know what? We've heard those rumblings about Kraft and Belichick for a decade. There were times there were other things going on that were never mentioned in the media that were going on that I was privy to at the time, which I'm not now. I admit, I don't know what's going on there. Let it unfold. Do I think the best thing that could happen is they part ways? I do. I think it's just time. And I think he wants the record. And I think he will coach again, but I think he's crazy if he goes to a place that does not have a quarterback where he doesn't even have to think twice about because that is not his forte, and he doesn't want to have to find one. He, doesn't, he shouldn't want to spend one second finding a quarterback. 
That's why the charges are so – I understand he's not an L.A. guy. That's fine. The bottom line is he's not going there for very long. And that job is perfect. They are very uncomfortable with their head coach. They have been for more than a couple of years now. Number two, they have the wide receivers and quarterback in place where they don't even have to be thought about. Just build the rest of the team, and there's plenty of talent there. He would walk in there, and I understand he's in the same division as the Kansas City Chiefs, but the bottom line is he would walk in there and win 12 games the first year without, a, without even a thought. That's ready-made. So why even think of going somewhere where you have to decide on a quarterback or break in a young quarterback? That is not his forte, never has been. Everything else is. Special teams are. Defense is. Secondary is. There's nobody better at it. But identifying wide receivers and quarterbacks are not his forte. And that's why it's ready-made. He can comfortably, comfortably, very quickly chalk up the wins he wants to chalk up and maybe win another title along the way. So I don't know if he's staying or leaving. have no idea. But if he is leaving, and I think that's the best thing that they part ways. I've heard all the rumors about Vrabel being the next coach of the, of the Pats and everything else. I've heard all the rumors about Belichick in two or three places. I'm not going to list them because you know what? Everyone knows what they are. But I don't think those are the right spots for him. I think there's one spot that just makes so much sense it jumps off the page. Carlos Mendoza is is looking to make his mark now as the new Met manager. A lot will be brought up about his personality or whether he has one how he will deal with being a manager in New York and deal with his ball club and deal with the balance between old school and new school and all the things that managers deal with now. But remember this, way, way, way too much time is spent worrying about the manager. Are there managers who make a difference? Yes, you can count them on one hand. One just left the sport in Francona. One just came back to the sport and won a World Series in Bochy. Bochy's brilliant. Francona is brilliant. You can count on one hand the guys that make that big a difference. They are few and far between. And that's not going to make or break the Mets. What's going to break the Mets or make the Mets is making the right decisions as far as personnel. And right now, when they talk about them being competitive this year, show me the pitching staff if they're going to be competitive. Show me the pitching staff. Because right now, even with Diaz back, the Met pitching staff is just so, so underdeveloped in terms of starting pitching. It is ridiculous. They have a lot of issues to, to figure out in their lineup and things they have to decide. Alonzo shouldn't be one of them. That should be a no-brainer. Sign him to the contract that he needs and move on. 
This guy plays every day. This guy is historically productive. You have a legitimate, legitimate, big-time slugger who doesn't at all have a problem with the spotlight, who can handle this town. I don't care about his relationships. In the, in, in, I don't care about his relationship in the clubhouse. They'll work themselves out. The bottom line is this guy goes out and produces every day. You can't find sluggers like that. To get rid of him will be a colossal mistake. But here's the bottom line. They need pitching desperately. Desperately. If you're wondering about who has a better chance to go to the playoffs than see the Yankees or the Mets, it's not even close because the Yankees have a pitching staff. Now, if they wind up trading one or two of the pieces to get Soto, well, then I'm going to worry about the pitching staff. I want Soto. I think Soto will be a great addition to the Yankees. They need, desperately need, to transform, transform their team back to what it's supposed to be, power pitching and left-handed power. Plus, they need a leadoff hitter in the worst way. But their pitching staff is a lot closer than the Mets is right now. The Mets do not have quality starting pitching, and they need a bunch of it, and it's not easy to put your hands on. So I want to see what they line up for spring training before I think the Mets will be competitive next year, and it has nothing to do with the manager, or very little. Your emails when we come back. Want to email the Mike Francesa podcast? Drop Mike a note at mikefrancesapodcast at gmail.com. You know, I bring up um, the Soto deal for this reason. I would figure King, who I'm very high at, on as a starting pitcher has to go in that deal. If the Yankees can make that deal without giving up a couple of their good minor league arms and giving up King, I would be very, very surprised because if I'm the Padres, King's coming back in the trade. Dominguez, I think, has been eliminated because of the injury, but King's coming back in that trade without any question if, it's, if I'm making the deal. Because I think he's going to be really good. All right, Mike Francis, a podcast at gmail.com. James, what was Cashman thinking about with that press conference? He sounded unhinged. Um, he did. See, in recent years, he's gotten to a point where he thinks, I have a resume that I can stand on. And I'm going to fight back. He can't win that battle against the media nor the fans. First of all, you don't ever want to take on the fans or in any way comment about them. Because you know what? Their job is just to buy tickets and cheer or boo. That's their deal. And they have every right to do both. You just want them to buy tickets and watch the games on television. But attacking the media... And attacking the fans will get him nowhere. And he thinks he has all this currency built up, except one thing. He long ago has spent every bit of that. They haven't been to a World Series. They haven't been to a World Series since 2009. They've been to one World Series since the early 2000s. That's now a quarter of a century. This is the Yankees. The plan they have used to build a team is comical. The talent they have wound up with is ridiculously bad. 
They have wound up with a bunch of right-handed hitters. He got suckered into bad deals. He brought old guys in here who shouldn't have been brought in at any cost. I never wanted Stanton here under any circumstances. Donaldson made no sense. They need the right left-handed players. They need left-handed power and pitching. That's it. That's how they have to be built. Plus, they need a leader for them. They have to get younger and more athletic. And he has done a rotten job for a long time now. And I am surprised he still has his job. He's had a long, distinguished career, but I am surprised he still has his job. Nick, why was uh, Council considered this all-world manager? I don't know that he was considered this all-world manager, but Stearns had a relationship with him. He's been a winning manager without unbelievable talent. Good talent, but not unbelievable talent. But everybody told you that he was not a New York guy. So why were you still running after him? And let's be honest, he told the Mets get lost and told the Cubs I'm in because he wanted to stay in the Midwest. Well, so be it. But they should have known that before they went after him publicly. Stearns was just with them. Didn't he know that? Stearns' handling so far of Schembechler, Epler, and the manager have left a lot to be desired. For a guy who's supposed to be so smart, he has not had a deft touch with any of those firings or hirings. He has handled all three of them terribly. So let's think, let's hope things are going to get better. Kevin, everyone wants to blame Zach Wilson, but isn't it more on Salah? The team plays hard, but they are sloppy, unprepared, and never make adjustments. Well, don't get into adjustments too much because halftime adjustments are a very subtle thing at best, okay? So don't get into that because from your television or from your couch, you're not going to know a lot about their halftime adjustments, all right? So don't worry about that. Are they sloppy? Yes. All right? Do they... Make a lot of mistakes? Yes. Do they have an incredible amount of dumb penalties? Yes. Is that all on the head coach? Completely. Completely. He's playing the wrong players on offense in the wrong place. He has done a terrible job with how he has put the offensive line together. His handling of the quarterback situation, which was not easy once Aaron Rodgers went down, again has been suspect. And again, he's one of these guys who is a complete cheerleader And all he cares about is the performance and the bravado of his defense and nothing else. And it consumes him. At halftime the other day, where again, they should have been in the end zone at least twice. They should have been dominating the game by at least two touchdowns. Instead of that being the issue at halftime, what did he say at halftime? He said, well, if they go after Adams in the second half, we'll pick it off. You know what? That just shows you he doesn't have a clue of what he's doing. David, it's been a complete disaster for Dable this season. He's been pouting, feeling sorry for himself. He's had a bad habit of blaming everyone but himself. Um, He has had a temper. He has gone after players on the sideline. He doesn't look happy, but who would? But he did at least take ownership of this mess. He did this past Monday saying, I own it. 
I own it. We just have to work harder and play better. And that's all he can do now. But he can't stop fighting his way out of this. And here's the thing, which fans don't understand. And you're not going to know this unless you have spent a good amount of time, either been a player or been around guys who play or coach in this league. You would not know this. See, the fan sits there and says, I want to tank every game and I want a high draft pick. That's all that makes sense to me. But what you are doing is telling professional players, remember, think of these guys as carrying a briefcase to work. This is their job. This is how they feed their family. Do not tell them to tank the job, which is a video resume, because a lot of them may be on different teams. So to think that they are going to tank at their position is, is having not an iota of knowledge about the sport. And to think that a head coach whose name is on every win and loss, whose career hinges on every win and loss, is going to lose on purpose so that he gets a high draft pick is not having any understanding of what they think about or how they approach their job in the NFL. No coach is going to lose the games on purpose or tank the games. They are not going to do that. Now, am I telling you that if you're in the last game of the season and you get the first pick, if you win, if you lose and the, and the you know, third pick if you win. You don't have to dress guys that last game of the season. That's foolhardy. But to, to say that you are going to start this when you have seven games left on the schedule is just mindless. What if they ran those games and you're going to tell me, well, they can't run those games. They don't approach it that way. They can't approach it that way. This is what they do for a living. Brian Dable coaches football players for a living. He has to coach them to the best of his ability. That's his job. To put forth the, game, to put forth the best game plan he can, put the best players out there, and coach them as hard as he can to play well this week. And a win that week is an accomplishment. I watched Parcells with the Jets go through a nightmare. And his team could not win a game. And they didn't sit there at the halfway point and say, oh, you know what, let's tank the rest of these games, get the pick we want, and then we'll move on the next year because no one cares. He came within one game of making the playoffs. He, un he kept probing and uncovering. And listen, he made a mistake by putting Rick Meyer in there. And then he replaced him with Ray Lucas, and the team took off. He's not perfect. He made a mistake with Rick Meyer. What he admit? But the bottom line is he didn't stop because that's not what you do if your job is the NFL. If your job is to comment on it, and your comment is tank right now, that's the only thing worthwhile. You don't understand the sport. That can't be done on the middle, on November 15th. And it shouldn't. 
because there has to be pride in what they do. And every game is a video resume for every one of those players. Because these guys, this is how they feed their families. So when you think of that, think of that, that day someone's going to come in and tell you whatever your job is, you know what? Lay back, do nothing. Do it to the worst of your ability. This is the best thing you can possibly do. You know what? It's utter nonsense. And it's utter nonsense for them. And we go through this every year in every sport. And it is a bunch of nonsense. They are going to try to win. That's just the way it is. Like I said, the last game of the season, we can talk about something and sit somebody out who, who may impact the game like the quarterback. That's a different story when it's one game and it impacts the season, the series, the schedule and the draft order dramatically on one day. That's not the case here. You try to win the games. And this week, I think Dable said the things he had to say. But that doesn't mean they're going to get better. And right now, I have to be honest, when I see, and I, and I watch DeVito's family, and I'm thinking about, you know what? They don't want to hear this. And if, I was in, if my son was playing there, I wouldn't want to hear it either. And I'd be angry hearing it. Because your kid has played football his whole life. And he's succeeded in high school. And he succeeded in college. And he overcame odds probably in both places. And now he's starting in the NFL and, you know, screw you if you think that. But that's not for me to view from here. From there, I understand their viewpoint and respect it. But when I see him run out, I don't think they have a chance to win. And this is a winnable game this week, but I don't think it is with him because I just don't think that they can run a real passing attack with him. Seeing if they can. Neil, what's wrong with the Buffalo Bills? Well, we've been through it. It starts with the head coach and how many mistakes they are making. Has to do with injuries, but more than anything else, it has to do with the reckless play of their quarterback. He has got a lot of, he has got a lot of Brett Favre in him in a lot of ways. And if you can't get the reckless part of that player under control and let the other player be the positive. You know how much talent is there, but you also know how much recklessness is there. The recklessness has to be under control for you to win. If it's not under control, you lose. And right now, just look at the numbers. They are turning the ball over at an alarming rate. They're committing dumb penalties at an alarming rate. That's how you lose. Why would the Mets even entertain moving Alonzo, Bob asks. I have no idea, Bob. They're nuts. This is a historical power hitter who wants to play every game, who has been nothing but a dynamic slugger and RBI man. Cherish his career. Joe, at least the 76 Buccaneers had a head coach that was worthy of entertainment. He's talking about it, of course, John McKay. Um, Dable just seems lost. It's like you forgot how to coach. Hey, it's like a house came down on top of him. 
It's like all the bricks in the house, on this house that looked really nice, all of a sudden the whole roof caved in on him. But as a head coach, you've got to sort through it. He's got to find the light at the end of the tunnel. That's what will make him a better coach. If this year doesn't kill him, it'll make him a better coach. Right now, it's half killed him. Do you think the Yankees end up trading for Soto? I think the money part of it is going to be an obstacle, but I think it's the best thing they can do. I think it's going to be hard for them to pay him. I think it's going to be hard for them to give up as much as San Diego wants in young talent, but he's exactly what they need. Premier power hitter in the prime of his career, high on base percentage, top, top offensive force. That's what they need. So I'd say, I'd say it's a 50-50 proposition. He's definitely going to be out of San Diego. They can't afford him. The reason why they can't afford him is the San Diego Padres spent money that they wound up not receiving in a TV contract. They thought they had a deal that was going to pay them an incredible amount of money, and it fell through. And instead of that, now their revenues do not match their expenditures on players, and they must trade Soto. So they will. Clayton, Joe Douglas is... has a very poor record in his four-plus years as the GM of the Jets. Yet everyone talks about how good his job is. Um, look at his hires. Look at his picks. When will the conversation change on Douglas? Uh, eventually, he has to win some games. Eventually, him and Salah both have to win games, or they're both going to be on the street. And it's something that I think Douglas better come quick to a reckoning with And it's something Salah better understand. And Salah's got to understand also something that has fallen other coaches. And I've seen it happen time and again. You have to get past the performance and the bravado of your defense as a defensive coach when you are the head coach and understand your job is the entire team, not just the bravado and productivity of your defense. And he, if he doesn't, he will be back coaching only a defense somewhere as defensive coordinator because he is a lousy head coach. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.